Hi, I'm Chantelle. And I'm Matthew. And we're founders of Fifth Place, where our mission is to make the world a better place by enabling the how. Welcome to our Emotions Matter Really podcast. In this podcast, we explore everything about emotions, feelings, and what it is to become and remain emotionally fit. We interrogate the taboo around expressing and talking about emotions and feelings. We talk about all those things we want less of, like stress, anxiety, and burnout, and the things we want more of, like sleep, calm, and self-care. We explore tools, tips and techniques for managing your emotions. We examine what it means to be emotionally fit and why this equals a better quality of life. Hello, hello. We're back for another podcast. Another week and feeling a whole lot better. Um, hmm, Even went back to gym this week, so that says a whole lot. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm not at the gym level yet, but certainly feeling much better than last week. Last week's podcast, at least I sound relatively normal. Mm. Uh, so I'm reckoning probably by this time next week, I will be right as rain. Mm-hmm. Yes, right as rain. Would be nice to get some too. Just when you thought that spring was around the corner, winter decided to nip that in the proverbial bud. Bud, yes. So we are sitting again, slightly more wrapped up. And yes, as I said, (laughs) winter's like not so fast, not Mm. so fast. Yes. We've had beautiful semi-spring weather most of the week and we went to watch our national rugby team at a stadium near us and the weather was just perfect for that. So at least we had that. Yes, it was beautiful today. It's got this chilly, cold wind. Ugh. But anyway. Yes, we're not here to talk about the we're weather. We're not here to talk about the weather. We're this, here to talk about more important things than that. Well, emotional fitness and mm. this week it's focusing on youth. youth. Mm. Very important youth, young people. Yes, because young people, um, I think, have taken the brunt of what has happened or transpired over the last nearly three years. Um, and mental health and emotional well-being are very problematic to a large extent in the youth um, as a result of what has happened. But, you know, we do have some statistics. The World Health Organization has done some research and there's some statistics that have come by, that we've come by in terms of um, yeah, mental health and the youth. Matthew, would you like to go through some of those? I think it's useful to go through the statistics to just frame the backdrop into which we talk this week and share our work. And as you'll see later on, just how important our particular approach to mental health is through the realm or the lens of mm. emotion regulation and building emotional fitness. Mm. And uh, to start with, globally, one in seven 10 to 19-year-olds experiences a mental disorder, and this accounts for 13% of the global burden of disease in this particular age group. So that says a lot, 13% of 10 
to 19 year olds, this is the way I understand it, effectively suffering from some kind of mental challenge, mm. mental disorder, and really it's, it's a lot if you think about it. Mm, it's huge. And then depression, anxiety and behavioral disorders are among the leading cause of illness and disability mm. among adolescents. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among 15 to 19 year olds. Sure. So, I mean, we haven't That's really big. got into living a life and we're already deciding we've had enough, mm. which is just tragic. And then the consequences of failing to address adolescent mental health conditions extend to adulthood. Mm. And this impairs both physical and mental health and limits opportunities for young people to lead fulfilling lives as adults. And that really talks into our approach as well, which says being proactive, prevention is better than cure. Mm. And because so many of our mental health challenges occur in childhood, why not start there? Why wait until the problem exists? Why not just attend to things? Why not upskill people to mm. manage the way they feel? Yeah, why not indeed? And we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that um, in a little while in terms of this pro proactive approach. Um, but just to reflect on what has and what, what adds to um, the challenges of particular the youth, that youth, that age group, the, the adolescent to young adult um, age group. And if we consider this last two and a bit years where we've had COVID-19 pandemic and the implications of that and what happened um, when we were during, when we were in this, in the throes of lockdown, isolation, masks, um, uh, not attending school, having to be homeschooled, doing everything online, not being able to engage in any social activities, the isolation that came with that, being stuck at home, typically with uh, parents that at the best of times, teenagers want to get away from, but also at the stage where parents and adults were also going through really, really tough times and maybe couldn't be there to be as much of a support as um, they would have wanted or needed at the time. All of that really added to the burden um, of the mental health and, and well-being of adolescents. Um, and as we know, as we know, what does isolation do? Well, yes, many studies have linked isolation and loneliness to an increased risk for depression, anxiety, substance abuse and mm. eating disorders as well as a wide array of other mental health challenges. And isolation from peers is especially difficult for adolescents. Mm. And, um, well, yes, could have increased suicide ideation in that population. Mm. Yes, I don't know that we are really going to fully appreciate, I don't think we have yet fully appreciated the effect of um, what the lockdown regulations did to all of us but most importantly, our youth. And then um, social media, which during lockdown, and not even, but other times, can be a way of connecting. And uh, adolescents and young people do, do that so well. They love to connect using social media, but it also has its downsides. Yes, um, too many, too much time rather spent on mm -hmm. social media 
and can carry risks. Um, experts say risks increase when adolescents obsess about gaining likes on their posts, making comparisons between how their life looks or how their body looks mm. with others. And also these kind of sort of comparative activities or exercises, if you like, can lead again to those big three, anxiety, mm. depression, and contemplation of suicide. It's really a no-win situation. No, it isn't. And less ability, I think, as a young person, when it's so important to be part of a group, less of an ability to uh, regulate what actually is being shown to them. Um, and worse, with social medias, come the advent of cyberbullying, um, this really cruel, cruel invasion of another person's space through the social media, completely out of their control and open to the world, really, uh, has become quite a pandemic in its own right and has led to massive increases in anxiety, depression, and again, that awful, awful um, consideration of ending one's life. So something that has to be attended to and has to be looked out for. And I think as parents, we really do need to know what our what our children, what our adolescents, what our young adults, um, who are children, are doing on their phones because they do not have the, dis the 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 distinction. They can't distinguish with necessarily around what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate at this stage, and uh, certainly need adults to to guide them in this in this instance. But you had an interesting experience speaking to some adults. And uh, you were quite taken aback by their levels of understanding. Levels of understanding, levels of naivety. Uh, I think parents, well, let's not generalize. These particular parents that I was talking to, I think exhibited a level of naivety around what they thought that their young adolescent um, offspring, they are nearly said children, but they're not really children, but they're... Mm -hmm. We're, we're getting up to and statements like no they won't be doing that yet or I don't think they are uh, you know involved in that and the two obvious ones that were up for discussion or surfaced in the discussion were alcohol use and sexual behavior I inwardly shook my head and thought you guys need to show up as parents mm. because some of the reasoning behind why we don't want to have these conversations or why there was this justification around the behavior was that it makes me uncomfortable and embarrassed mm. to have these conversations. So therefore, I'd rather pretend that my children, my young youths, young adult children are not actually doing it because then I'm off the hook. And actually, what we've seen in an extreme instance, because this particular group of people, there was a young woman who eventually decided that she'd had enough and committed suicide which then talks into you know what could have been done if the parents were more engaged and more open and created an environment for mm. our youth to effectively voice their concerns because my experience of young people is that they self-learn they learn on a need-to-know mm. basis mm. and that's not always the best way to learn because effectively you don't know what kind of information you're getting, the quality of the information. Mm -hmm. And sure, I'm not saying that, you know, parents are experts. I'm not an expert in some 
aspects and fields, but at mm. least if we start creating an environment that fosters open discussion between young adults, parents, and so on, then I think that can at least go some way to this destigmatization. Yes, absolutely. Also, the trust that can, that that is can be built between the adult and the the young person um, in order to open up and uh, talk about what has happened, um, talk about the fact that there potentially is cyberbullying, uh, talk about inappropriate um, photos that are on um, social media because that's another thing, inappropriate photos young people forget that those photos are there forever. And there've been some really, really upsetting stories of young people being taken advantage of without their knowledge and some inappropriate photos being uploaded to social media, which when they find out about it, has huge impacts to their psychological well-being. Yeah, studies have found that adolescents who experience cyberbullying mm -hmm. are about twice as likely to engage in self-harm including attempted suicide, as those who do not experience such bullying. Mm. And interestingly, bullies themselves are about 20% more likely to exhibit suicidal behaviours wow. than non-bullies. Yes, well, that is certainly is food for thought. Um, and if we bring it back to our country, South Africa. Well, I think it's useful to bring it back here by way of an example, because then it offers opportunity for reflection in other spaces. I mean, obviously, you know, we live here and mm. we can only talk from our lived experience, although mm. there is a slightly universal applicability to what we do. Mm -hmm. But I know where you're going to go with this. And uh, yes, it's quite, quite harrowing, actually. Yes, we have um, added. So the added problem that we have in South Africa for our youth is the levels of unemployment. And Stats SA reported that in the first quarter of 2022, which is this year, the unemployment rate for those between the ages of 15 and 24, now not many should be working at the age of 15, but anyway, was nearly 64%. Um, and it was 42% for those between the ages of 25 and 34. So we have a very, very high level of unemployment for you, for the youth. Mm, and just to sort of visualize that in a potentially more easy way, that means for the 15 to 24 year olds, two out of every three are unemployed. And then mm. for the 25 to 34, one and a half, nearly one and a half out of every three yes. is unemployed. So an added um, problem, an added challenge. And yes, if we look at some of the other statistics that have come out, so let's just have, let's consider some of the statistics in our space. And it's a quarter of young South Africans experience depression and anxiety, and up to 20% of high school pupils have tried to take their own lives. Self-harm is a significant factor in South Africa, specifically in the rural areas where accessible mental health care is low, very low, and there is a high level of stigma. So in rural environments, if you're suffering from a mental health condition, you are labeled sometimes as possessed. And in the study of young people, more than a quarter said that they didn't think 
that their mental health problem was severe enough to seek help. So not only isn't there enough help, but some don't think that it's bad enough to seek help. And then uh, 20% didn't know where to go for help. And so we really do have a bit of a conundrum. And on top of that, we have stigma and stereotypes, Matthew. Would you like to talk into that element, which I don't believe is particular to our country? When we look at our young people's mental health, we must note the influential systems that play a role in their lives. We touched briefly on family, but also school, society, and the environment. And these systems foster two of the biggest detriments to youth mental health, mm. namely, as you said, stigma and stereotypes. And I really think that we are doing our young people a disservice by not creating better contexts in mm. environments in order to become more emotionally fit and emotionally resilient. So, you know, I don't think it's changed much. Certainly not in the under-resourced school space, just in terms of what is available. Mm. If I don't feel great, if I feel mm. anxious or depressed, we were listening to or part of a discussion, albeit more passively, just listening to it with young people from Kenya and just relating how difficult it was to find access to support. Mm. Well-meaning peers saying things like, well, just sort of get, get on with it. it. Yes, <clears throat> yes. And don't so many people say that. And also the cost. Uh, and then the cost talks into, in that particular context, the cost of medication, mm. which is really a route that many people think they need to go. And as we've seen, although it has a place in some instances, you know, it doesn't necessarily equal healing. Mm. Yes, and in fact, talking about medication... Worldwide, the most common treatment for depression and anxiety is a class of drug called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. As you may know them as SSRIs. And what these are supposed to do is they're supposed to increase the serotonin levels in the brain and they are intended to enhance mood and emotion. But, and here's the big but, their modest efficacy and their substantial side effects. So let me just get that right. So they are average at doing what they're supposed to do, but mm -hmm. they come loaded with lots of side effects. Yes. As a result of their modest efficacy and substantial side effects, there has been a drive to study alternative um mechanisms that can be used to attend to youth depression and anxiety, specifically in youth and, um, yes, with their depression and anxiety. And there's a study that was held. Would you like to tell us about the study, Alexander Daros? Yeah, I think it's, it's useful to remember that when you get into this space, that the medication side of things, as we were discussing before the podcast, it sometimes actually makes the body or the parts of the body that are supposed to be doing the chemical releasing get weak, much like when you don't exercise a muscle. If you break an arm and it goes in a cast, when the cast comes mm. off, because the arm muscles haven't been used, it's all thin and, yes. and weak. And so sometimes these 
we've seen um, these particular medications actually make the body weak and it can't do what it's meant to do. Yes, more less capable of, of um, uh, making the serotonin itself. And, and I mean, I think that for some people, medication does have a place. But in our space, in this world, in a third world country, people don't have access to medication, number one. They don't have access to that one-on-one -on -one therapeutic care either. But I think that the, the studies that this institute in Toronto did really do support what we advocate. It was... <laughs> It's like I said earlier, another week, another affirmation of our work. And so it really is an interesting study. And if you're now sort of on the edge of your seats because we've been... <laughs> Faffing around it. Here it goes. So Alexander Daros at the Campbell Family Mental Health Institute, which is in Toronto, Canada, and colleagues et al. did a meta-analysis of 90 randomized controlled trials. And they found that helping young people to improve their emotion regulation skills, which are needed to control emotional responses to difficult situations, mm -hmm. enables them to cope better with anxiety and depression. And what do we do? Yes, we have a process that specifically allows somebody to manage the emotional state. Hmm, to regulate how they feel. Exactly, to regulate how they feel. And not only is there that process, you can also learn it. You can also learn it and it can be done at scale. And, you know, I think it would be useful to just to just say at this point that because of the scale of the problem in this part of the world, no amount of money or therapists, if we had them, and we like to use the example F&B Stadium, we've probably used it in this podcast before, but 23 psychologists to 100,000 people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if we had the funding and we managed to double, triple, quadruple the number of therapists, there is no ways that we would get through 100,000 people. And there are far more than that that have emotional issues. Mental health issues, yes. anxiety, uh, depression and, issues. and we would never get through that just by doing one-on-one -on -one work. Now, are we not saying by any means that the work of counsellors, psychologists and social workers um, is to be undermined? Because it isn't. It is incredibly necessary. However, there just aren't enough. There aren't enough. There's not enough money and there's not enough time. And so when we went off to to develop our process. We developed it with a specific requirement that it had to be done in groups. It had to be something that had to be done in groups. We need, need it to be simple, work with children as well as adults and obviously young people as well. And then it had to be done in groups so that we could work with tens, twenties, hundreds, thousands, a hundred thousand in one go if we had to. And here is the evidence, the evidence that teaching people how to regulate their emotions is the one thing that goes the furthest in helping them avoid or manage their anxiety and depression. Mm, it's, it's amazing. What's what's that body of research that you that we fit under? Grounded. Oh, grounded theory research. Yes. Yes. So yes, we set out to solve a problem, and when we solved the problem, started to find 
all the research to support it. Mm, to back it up. And our work also talks to not just one process, not just shape of emotion, which is what our process calls, or an emotional fitness class, which is where we do our process, but our approach to building emotional health is multifaceted and it has five pillars. Mm, thinking. Yes. Feeling. Mm-hmm. Moving. Mm-hmm. Nourishing. Mm-hmm. And relating. Absolutely. And so the call for mental health promotion and prevention interventions for adolescents really is to strengthen an individual's capacity to regulate these emotions, enhance alternatives to risk-taking behaviors, which really for us mm. falls into the realm of banning, burying, avoiding, and numbing yes. the way that we feel. Then also building resilience for managing difficult situations and adversity and then promoting supportive social environments and social networks. Mm. Mm. And these programs require a multi-level approach. As Chantal just described, our approach to building emotional fitness is multi-leveled. And then you need varied delivery platforms. For example, digital media, health or social care settings, schools, Mm. and very importantly, the community and then varied strategies to reach these adolescents, particularly the most vulnerable. And then just to talk a little bit into the digital delivery mechanism. Again, Mm. this was something that we took into account because you can learn our approach. You can have people teach it, take it into communities where there is no data. Mm. Because yes, even though we are recording a podcast and you are probably listening to it on some kind of technological device, There are places where access to data in developing countries is minimal to non-existent. Yes, they might have the access to data, but it's expensive. They don't have access to Wi-Fi. Well, yes, and Mm. so you wouldn't use your data to necessarily Mm. want to, you know, it comes down to needs, basic needs and what have you. So again, if you are listening and you have access to youth, then connect with us. Because we have done a lot of work in creating something that is accessible, scalable, and makes a big dent in the problem. And it works. But I think the big thing also is around education. You know, if if we educate ourselves and understand what emotions are, we understand why it's important to regulate them, we understand that emotions are not weakness, they aren't a sign of weakness, we understand that You know, we're not supposed to walk around um, armored and pretending that nothing's happened to us. The fact that we are feeling beings makes us human um, will go a long way to to teaching people and to encouraging them to be a little bit more connected to their feeling state and being more connected to their bodies. Because largely we are head-orientated beings that think, that this thing is only good to be carried around by a body. Yeah, well, we learned recently as well, from a neuroscience perspective, that emotions actually impact our ability to think. Mm. Emotions impact our ability to choose the thoughts we wish to think. And from the perspective of if you think being emotional is weak, well, you know, think about your health. Would you like to be more healthy? Mm So it comes down to, again, managing your emotions. 
because emotions impact your ability to be healthy. So there are many, many good reasons why learning and becoming friends with your emotions is a good thing. Yes, and, and as you said earlier today, you said learning how to regulate your emotions and learning how to feel better will not necessarily give, yeah. give you a job. Sure. But... Um, I mean, we do sometimes get the slightly cynical pushback that says, but, you know, just if I do this, it's not going to give me a job and it's not going to put food on my table. And no, it won't. But what it does do is it opens up possibilities. Mm. Because typically when you are feeling in down, you're in that dark place, what kind of choices do you consider for yourself? And if you have an opportunity to practice regulating the way you feel, you build your emotional fitness, mm. you build your capacity, and then that makes the world look a whole lot different. Mm. So you don't avoid, you don't disappear into alcohol or social media or self-harm or run away or just want to sleep mm. and things like that. You know, you start to clear away and then you become more sort of open and more opportunity focused and more solutions oriented and you have energy. The big thing here is energy because mm. it takes energy out of you when you don't feel good, when you feel down, when you feel depressed and you're in that dark place and you don't feel mm. like doing anything. Mm. And so giving yourself the opportunity or someone you may know the opportunity to come out of that state by learning to manage the way you feel is key. Yes, yes it is key. And so I think the call goes out to anybody involved in youth or if you are a young person and would like to know more, please get hold of us and we would love to engage with you. So yeah, we've, I mean, again, <laughs> we have connected with a number of leading youth organizations in this country and yes, it's been a mixed bag. I think the key here is education and consistency. As we talk about consistency with doing the work, it's also consistency in really flying the flag and spreading the message of our particular approach, mm -hmm. which is in some instances unique, mm -hmm. but it's needed, it's necessary and it's effective. Yes, and I do think to a large extent, people want to approach the problem the same way they've always approached the problem. And you're not going to be able to fix this problem. Certainly not coming out of the, the years of lockdown and pandemic that we have, you're not going to be able to deal with it the way that we've always deal, dealt with it. Um, it's just not going to happen that way. So we have to do things very differently. And that's what we certainly advocate, is to do things differently and the first thing is to come back to your body, to know that it starts with you and to take the first step because the only place that it's going to change is with me. Mm -hmm. Is with me. So thank you. Mm. And with that, it's poem time. <laughs> yes, yes. Today's short poem. So I went and did some research. I wanted to, wanted to find a poem about youth or I wanted to find a poem by somebody who was a young person. And sure, there's a hell of a lot, but lots of it is a bit, a bit sad and a bit depressing. Um, and so I wanted something that was a little bit more uplifting. And I found this lovely poet by the name of Lee Carr. And her poem is a little bit more uplifting, but it does have a message. And it's called Stay Strong. Oh, thank you. I look forward to it. Mm. 
Stay strong. Keep holding it together and keep holding on. You need to survive. You need to stay strong. It doesn't matter that you want to give up the fight for no one but you is going to be the light. Keep holding on and keep holding it together. You need to walk on no matter the weather. It doesn't matter if you don't think you'll make it through because at the end of the day, the only person to change this is you. Wow, just wow. Mm. So a couple of things I would like to just say, you know, it really resonated with me. I went through some really dark times as a young person. And if you've listened to our podcast, you'll know that I tried to commit suicide twice. And, you know, I think back and wonder where we would be today if I had succeeded. Where would this body of work be? Where would all the people, the thousands of people that we've helped and hopefully the thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions more mm. that we can connect with and reach if I had succeeded. And really what that said to me is, it doesn't matter how dark, find a way because you have a gift. You, listening person, mm. have a gift that is uniquely you, uniquely yours. And whatever it is, and I have no idea what that is, there is no one like you. And no one can do what you can do. Or no one can be you because you are unique. Mm. Mm. And the world needs you and your uniqueness. Yes, absolutely. And then I'd just like to close out by sharing a perspective from someone who has, who had, when he was asked this question, a lot of life. This particular person was celebrating his 80th birthday. And he was the poet, Robert Frost. And Robert Frost is widely regarded as America's most distinguished poet. And at this particular function, he'd been answering questions. And one question in particular hadn't been put. And there was this very astute journalist who went up to him and said, Sir, in all your years and all your travels, what do you think is the most important thing that you have learned about life? Robert Frost paused for a moment and then with a twinkle sparkling under big bushy eyebrows, he replied, in three words, I can sum up everything I have learnt about life. It goes on. In all the confusions of today with all our troubles, with politicians and people slinging the word fear around, mm. all of us become discouraged, tempted to say this is the end, the finish. But life, it goes on. Mm. It always has. It always will. Mm. Don't forget that. That's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you were able to bring that into this session because it, that has been a very important message to you, that it goes on. Yes, I even have it tattooed. Mm, you do. <laughs> Absolutely. So show it. For those that eventually do see this on YouTube, can see it in all its glory. Well, it's not that glorious as a tattoo. No, but I mean, you want to show it, so show it. Like proof. 
There it is. There you to go. To remind you, there. it goes on. It goes on. There we go. Yes. And with that, thank you very much, Chantel. It's been a beautiful, beautiful podcast again. So I really appreciate all the work that you've done in bringing it to this level mm. so that we can share our work. Mm. Yes, and so it's time to say farewell. And just to all the youth out there, really, it's, um, it's important that you do focus on building your emotional fitness. You are needed, we need you, and the future needs you. And so from me, Chantal, remember, be kind and be gentle to yourselves. And until we meet again, bye for now. And from me, Matthew, yeah, just remember, it goes on. Wishing you well. And here, yeah, reach out, connect with us if you feel so inclined. And until we meet again, bye for now. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to know more about us, go to our website, fifth.place. Yes, 5th.place. For more ways to build your emotional fitness, learn how to regulate your emotions you can learn to master your emotions or attend an emotional fitness class these are both short courses that we offer and the links are in the description for this podcast and then lastly if you found this podcast to be of value you'd like to match this value and consider making a donation to us at fifth place this will enable us to provide you with more valuable content and additionally it enables us to take our work into those places that we described in this particular episode mm -hmm. you know those places that can't access data 